The thing about the home and auto bundle from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the home and auto bundle from Progressive. We don't even need the words the home and auto bundle anymore to tell you that you could save big with a ring-tailed lemur from Progressive or that every hot peach cobbler comes with round-the-clock service and protection. And that's the thing about the goat with magic powers. You've heard a lot of ads about the sushi in Vancouver. See how much you could save with the home and auto bundle. <clears throat> with the Shaman in the Jungle from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. We're very excited. We've been waiting to record this episode because it's been a big week for motorsport. We've had the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indy 500. Kunal, motorsport's biggest weekend of the year. Yes, and it's nearly 72 hours after the weekend and we are still in the middle of all our planned content delivery. Yeah, I published two columns on first post. Firstly, on the Monaco Grand Prix, and then on Alonso's indie campaign, and we also did our post Monaco Grand Prix first post pole position video too. So I really hope you guys have had the time to check out all our content. And if you missed any of it, you can follow us on Facebook or on our Google Plus page. And the best of all, you can read everything on my Formula One blog called KunalsF1Blog.com. And now we're creating this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. So guys, in this week's episode, I am very excited to talk about Kimi Raikkonen and how Kimi Raikkonen was robbed a long-awaited victory by Ferrari or not. And I am actually very eager to talk about Fernando Alonso's Indy 500 campaign and I think he is by far the most disruptive force in motorsport right now. Yes, so Kunal, we have to start with Fernando Alonso. I don't know how to say this but kudos to the man the champion the two times formula 1 world champion he put up a brilliant display of his talent and he's been so outstandingly quick and that's actually something we've been missing seeing from him in formula 1 the last several seasons and uh, it isn't that we needed a confirmation of fernando alonso's talent and uh, like most rookies let's hope that alonso's standout performance wins him the attention of top formula 1 teams <laughs> by the way he went on to win the indy 500 rookie of the year award what's, what's more interesting about this rookie of the year award is the actual parameters that indy have placed or put in place for this particular award so uh, it actually includes accessibility and conduct and sportsmanship apart from track performance of course and unlike formula 1 it is a media based award so obviously it's far more credible so good job fernando we are so excited <laughs> and uh, back to me saying that fernando alonso is motorsport's most disruptive force at the moment and i remember a few years ago it was red bull racing uh that was called as a disruptive force because of their double diffuser and their exhaust blown diffuser related victories that they had so last time around there was a team and this time around that is a driver and uh, let's put it this way so we all know that fernando has made bad career moves but we also don't want him to suffer because the team and their engine supplier can't sort themselves out Honestly his move to Indy 500 it was something not a lot of drivers would dare to attempt especially when they're so active in Formula 
I think it would have been absolutely discouraged in the Bernie era. And you know, if this was still the Bernie era, I think Fernando Alonso would have been made to pay the price for picking Indy 500 over Monaco. That's very interesting. But now that we are in the Liberty Media era, and I really hope that the current and the next generation of drivers take this liberty, feel inspired, and you know, feel motivated from Alonso, and attempt a similar move to crossover series, and why not even the Indy 500 for that matter? That's very exciting. And Kunal, I know that the FIA has already taken heed. So Jean Todt said that he'd work with the various series organizers and that they try and avoid date clashes. Now I know we can't have no clashes whatsoever for all series. Given that there are only fifty-two racing weekends. <laughs> yes, but I think that if we can manage to avoid a clash between Monaco, Indy 500, and the Le Mans, that would be pretty much enough. Yeah, the Triple Crown of Motorsport. I really hope that it becomes a bigger deal for the drivers than success in their individually standing series, because it would be fantastic to see a driver from one series try and compete and actually beat the drivers from the other series. And I really hope that the sponsors and fans also lap it up. Yes, but the bigger deal here is also how easily Indy 500 accepted Fernando Alonso. So they welcomed him with open arms, and I know for a fact that Formula One is pretty much of a closed door sport. Open wheel, but closed door sport. <laughs> I hope that the new owners enable this too. Although it obviously involves a lot of changes in the current construct of the sport, there's a trigger and there's a spark, and hopefully it will lead to better things, bigger things, in fact. I think what motorsport needs to concentrate on is growing the overall pie of motorsport and not just individual series and their shares. And that's a marketing specialist talking on this <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. Anyway, Fernando Alonso, thank you. And here's hoping that either Ferrari or Mercedes pick you up in 2018. So cheers to that. <laughs> Reunions aren't new to Formula One. We know that. In fact, Alonso's publicly claimed that. Barring Red Bull Racing, all other teams and their doors are open for him. Wow! Yes, yeah, so thank you very much, Fernando, and yours. Hoping that no engine ever blows up on your face. Yeah, honestly, I've had enough of Fernando's engines blowing up. Kunal, even at the Indy 500, Honda let him down. It was so eerie. It was so ironic. I felt so bad for him. Yeah, I tuned in, and the minute his engine blew, and it was a familiar pop sound that Fernando's had all these years. I just switched off. I didn't care if Max Chilton was going to win or Takuma Sato was going to win. And uh, I'm going to quote Lucian Oucher. He's a very good friend now and an avid listener of our podcast. And he, of course, joked that. There was possibly a conspiracy at play at the Indy 500. So a Japanese driver won in a Honda-powered car with Panasonic, a Japanese company, as a sponsor. Wow! It was actually the first time ever that a Japanese driver won the Indy 500. Anyway, there was also talk of conspiracy at both the iconic races, obviously Indy 500 and Monaco. So we're going to be talking about the Monaco conspiracy in a few minutes. But for now, congratulations to our former Formula One driver Takuma Sato. So it's a phenomenal win for him. Kunal, he will take home two and a half million dollars for his victory. That's incredible, and that actually means that he was paid ten thousand dollars. For each lap that he drove at the Indy 500, and look at it this way, he wasn't even leading each of those laps out there. Wow! And uh, the other Formula One driver, Max Shildon, he could have won too. 
you know the less popular max in motorsport <laughs> <laughs> but so much for lewis hamilton doubting the talent racing at the indy 500 i'm not going to talk too much about it because frankly it's just a very silly comment and i found it really funny because given his love for america i think he is going to be racing the indy 500 very soon so it was amazing that he was dissing it already maybe he's going to turn around drive the indy 500 and then turn around and say guess what because i'm driving suddenly the world's best talent is driving at the indy 500 <laughs> it'll be some sort of a personal statement but uh, it would actually be important and i would like to state this out here that yes max shelton takuma sato uh one pablo montoya as well are all former formula 1 drivers and they are former formula 1 drivers for a reason and that reason isn't their talent they just did not have a good car like the way lewis hamilton and sebastian vettel do this season that's a very valid point and anyway we're going to talk about monaco and the monaco grand prix did ferrari favor sebastian vettel or not So we've been discussing this ever since the checkered flag. I think everyone's been discussing it and now we're going to discuss it on the podcast. Yes, and we still stand by what we said. Of course, there are slight revisions that we've made to our opinion as well. So quick thoughts, there are two scenarios. One, they knew that the overcut would work and that they offered this strategy to Vettel and we all know how that turned out. The second thought is that they just followed the regular course of action, which is Uh, they pitted the leading driver first like you do at pretty much every other grand prix and it was sebastian vettel who drove like his backside was on fire <laughs> to make up the gap to kimi raikkonen which mind you wasn't too much and then snatched the lead from your favorite driver kimi raikkonen <laughs> so i would like to believe that it was vettel who snatched victory from kimi raikkonen ferrari's new and self-appointed spokespersons Toto Wolf and Christian Horner also seem to share the same view as you, Kunal. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, and then again, this is Ferrari. They're vocal about team orders when they use it. You know, they tell us. <laughs> yeah, this time they did not tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can assume that they didn't use it. Anyway, Kimi Raikkonen was the faster driver on Saturday, and Kimi Raikkonen was amazing on Saturday. Yeah, yes. like credit where it's due. Sebastian Vettel was the faster driver on Sunday and that's how they lined up on the podium. Kimi Raikkonen was really 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 pissed and you could see that he doesn't obviously ever express his emotions but this was one exception. I frankly think that he was just pissed with himself and he should be so because let's remember this he was on pole in the faster car then how on earth could he and did he not win that race in Monaco? I'm just going to say that I really hope he still claims a victory this season. The closer we get to the ending, Ferrari will, you know, increasingly start to favor Vettel more and more yeah, openly and, and more obviously. Obviously, yeah. and that will only make it harder for Kimi Raikkonen to win. I think then he has to count on Vettel having bad luck and, you know, ruling himself out of the race in order to claim victory himself. That's actually very well said. The last time Kimi Raikkonen was on pole, Sebastian Vettel, Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton were still seeking their World Drivers Championship their first win. <laughs> like I can't believe it's been that long, Kimi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there is also news that Sergio Perez is on his way to Ferrari to take Kimi Raikkonen's seat in 2018 and that's at least what Mark Webber has said at the weekend of Monaco. 
Kunal, sorry. I will believe this news only when Eddie Jordan says so <laughs> on the podium. <laughs> so for the drivers' championship this season, Sebastian Vettel is a full win ahead of Lewis Hamilton. That's twenty-five points, and Nikki Lauda is already backing Vettel for the title. As odd as it may sound. So this is also when Lewis Hamilton is going to bounce back hard, you know, hammer time as he keeps saying. We've seen this that every time he's many points behind, he comes back even stronger. We saw this happen last season and we are hoping that it happens this season yes, as well. Yes, <laughs> that would be pretty interesting to watch. Kunal special mention to Haas. They had their first double points finish. I'm Very sure they're going to yeah, they're going to remember this for a long long time to come. Much like Force India is going to remember the 2017 Monaco Grand Prix as well because they did not score a single point. So their long streak of points finish and double points finish ended abruptly that not a single car finished in the points. And of course they're still in fourth place. Safely so. Yes. Kunal, <laughs> I know you're dying to talk about Carlos Sainz and his sixth place, so just please go ahead. <laughs> Phenomenal race for Carlos Sainz Jr. Sixth place, which is usually reserved for Felipe Massa, and he was just behind the top team cars, including the car of Red Bull senior Max Verstappen. I'm telling you, Carlos is making an absolutely fantastic statement for a 2018 bid for a quicker cockpit. I just hope it pays off. Overall, though, the Monaco Grand Prix was really, really, really boring, and it was so bloody predictable. Pretty much from the start, we knew which constructor was going to win, and after the first round of pit stops happened, it was very evident that Vettel was going to win. And unlike the Indy 500, which was completely unpredictable right till the end, Kunal, there's so much that both series could learn from each other. That's so true, and um, you know, Monaco has been known for close qualifying followed by boring races, unless there is an incident that you know spices the race up, so to say. In fact, Monaco is so boring that people party there all the time, even during the race. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, the Indy 500 was fast, furious, and unpredictable. And uh, uh, the first lesson that it could learn from Formula One, however, would be on packaging itself better. It just seemed like a low-rung series from a graphics, from from a presentation point of view. That's interesting. But I love the rotating car cameras. I'm wondering why Formula One doesn't have cameras on their cars already that <laughs> rotate like that. It's actually American tech, which the European series is refusing to put in the cars, I guess. But jokes aside, maybe Chase Carey saw the Indy 500 again, thanks to Fernando Alonso, and he's ordered a few hundred of those cameras to install on each car. in the canadian grand prix because i agree that rotating car cam offered a brilliant perspective of the action and some of the crashes <laughs> those scary scary crashes i also actually liked the pit time that was displayed on the cars at the indy and i know that formula 1 is attempting something similar to this in fact this is uh, lewis hamilton's father anthony hamilton's idea that they are still toying around with So basically what will happen is that Force India will have yet another suspended sentence and penalty when this display goes live on the car because they will not have space on their car to accommodate <laughs> it. <laughs> on that note Force India actually signed on a few more partners in the last week so there was a breast cancer awareness program that they signed up with. The color pink of course. <laughs> and sport bible and a few other sponsors as well well so, done guys very well <laughs> done off the track if not on it 
Mercedes have registered their third non-podium finish only since the start of the hybrid turbo era in 2014. Uh-huh. I'm going to take a minute to digest <laughs> that. So they actually lost ground in both the championships. And uh, the key question that everyone is going to ask is, is the long wheelbase design that's impacting or that impacted Mercedes in Monaco? And I really hope the team comes out with some sort of technical insight and clarification on this as well. Although I know they won't because that will mean, mean giving a secret away. I definitely think that Canada will suit Mercedes better. Well, I hope so. <laughs> But on this issue, it is important for me to remind our listeners that Lewis Hamilton has had setup issues in two out of the last three Grand Prix. So he himself has spoken of consistency and this is where he's been consistently inconsistent with his car setup. So he is going to be hopefully sitting down with his engineering team to sort this out for Canada. So Toro Wolff said something very interesting that this year's Mercedes car is like a diva given how sensitive it is to changing temperatures and what not. <laughs> very cool comparison. <laughs> He's also called the Mercedes team underdogs for 2017. Yeah, you know it almost seems that he's sort of happy that Ferrari is strong and that they're winning. It's very strange. <laughs> I'm sure somebody is sooner or later is going to bring the connect of how Mercedes has helped Ferrari become quick or maybe quicker this season. <laughs> well, Kunal, there was a Mercedes driver on the podium and amazingly enough it was Nico Rosberg, <laughs> the retired Nico Rosberg because he was doing the podium interviews. And I can tell you he seemed just so nervous with his debut on that mic, which is funny, you know, because he'd love talking on the mic otherwise. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised he didn't rattle off in other languages like he otherwise would on the podium. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was a mixed bag of a debut. A lot of people called him a flat face and all of that. <laughs> They never called him that while he was a winning driver. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the only thought that I had while watching him interviewing Vettel was that is the reigning world champion interviewing the potential successor. <laughs> <laughs> and just for our sake, purely I really wish Lewis Hamilton had made it to the podium especially on the top step. Yeah, Rosberg's debut would have only been that much harder. <laughs> Or you know maybe that's why um, Hamilton decided to not make it to the podium. He was like damn it I don't want to be on the podium with that guy again. <laughs> I've shared enough podiums with him already. Yes, not again. <laughs> yes. The one team that is going to struggle to make it on the podium this season in fact they're going to struggle to make it into the points uh, is McLaren. And uh, they actually had a brilliant Saturday and a stupid Sunday. Like Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> Stoffel Van Doorn, I'm sure he must be kicking himself. He should have actually finished that race and in the points. And actually, it was a very embarrassing crash. I thought Ericsson's crash was beyond embarrassing too. <laughs> like I was cringing. <laughs> like Graham from talking about F1 said, it is so difficult to overtake in Monaco. that you can't even overtake the safety car <laughs> <laughs> the other crash the noteworthy crash was of pascal wehrlein's and that was that was really scary what was jensen button thinking <laughs> i can tell you that it was so scary a crash that i think pascal wehrlein would have peed in his seat and so would have a lot of other people in the paddock and on the television screens but uh, it was actually half an opportunity and button took it uh, like any driver would in monaco and all we then saw was crash boom and penalty <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the Sauber is a well-balanced car, evidently, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I don't think that drivers can ever complain about balance going forward in the season. <laughs> but uh, guess what? So Jensen Button's penalty might never be served though, because he's not expected to come back to Formula One ever. That's unless they apply the penalty to his next triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cross sport and all that. <laughs> But I must say that I loved the Button Alonso in-car radio just before the start of the race. And Formula One needs a character like Button, just like it needs a racer like Alonso. Yeah, like whoever thought of that amazing idea and execution. Yeah, but this also makes me wonder if the mirrors this season are too small and the drivers are unsighted. Because we've seen just so many incidents where, the car, where there's a car on the inside, but the car on the outside has absolutely no clue whatsoever. Do you can't state this in the case between Kivad and Perez. <laughs> Perez was just over-opportunistic. Yeah, he just seems so strangely impatient. And anyway. Impatient to get onto Ferrari. <laughs> like. <laughs> oh yeah, he's been long waiting for a call-up. But uh, after so many races where we've actually seen the undercut being the key operative term and the word and the strategy, the overcut worked in Monaco. Yes, it worked for Vettel and Ricciardo and Hamilton. Which reminds me, we've seen very little of Max Verstappen this season. And we're six races into the season. Max, we miss you. <laughs> <laughs> he even lost the driver of the day title in Monaco to Sebastian Vettel. And uh, frankly, I wish that like the Indy 500, Formula One would have put far more credible parameters to choose the driver of the day. Driver of the day aside, I would certainly choose Vettel's in-car radio celebrations as the best ever. Yes, the great Sebastian Vettel with his stereotypical celebration on radio and guess what by the way that voice is going to be in the German version of the movie Car. That's interesting of Sebastian Vettel to have agreed to lend his voice is acting next up on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> on that note ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in we absolutely loved the Indy 500 and we somewhat liked the Monaco Grand Prix we're going to be looking forward to Canada next week so do remember to tune in bye bye.